Welcome to AB3 Speaks with Monica Antakia, the podcast on academic business and branding, where we talk about planning, building, running, and growing a business as Black academic women who want to share their knowledge with the world. I'm Takia Nur Amin, academic success strategist, dance scholar, and lover of all things luxury. I'm Monica A. Coleman, professor, religious leader, and mom to an active growing kid. We have over 25 years combined experience of sharing our academic knowledge beyond the classroom, and we're telling you all the things we wish someone had told us. We will share our values-led ways of monetizing your advanced education in today's global marketplace and highlight Black academic women who are doing this with excellence and flair. So stay hydrated. Make sure you have something to write on and write with because class is in session. On the syllabus today is Robin Owens. We're so glad to have you here with us. Yay, thank you. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> now, I have known Robin for like, I don't even know how many years. You won't, you won't be giving out numbers of years anymore. <laughs> but I have known you through our FTE days and our time in Southern California at the same time. Although remarkable how you don't run into people when you're in the same, but you know, it's a big county. LA is a big county. So we didn't always run into each other. But I would love, I know a little bit about your academic journey, but not everything. So can you tell us a bit about your educational journey, your academic training, your specialty, like what you what got you that PhD? What do you know? Okay. All right. I'll just jump right in with that then. Interestingly enough, and I tell my students this because they always feel like you have to have your life all figured out. I got my bachelor's degree in business. And then years later, after trying to figure out my life as a young adult and my work, I ended up later in life, second, third career, going back to get a PhD after having worked at, in a leadership role in a bank and then ha after having done social work for the state of Connecticut. And then I went back and said, let me pursue my, my, real, my real life work in me. And that started because at that time when I was working as a social worker, uh, my mother passed away suddenly from a heart attack. And as grief and loss does, it put me in a, a tailspin. I was just at complete loss. I didn't know what to do. And once I got my head back on straight somewhat enough to think about what I wanted to do with my life, I recognized the call to pursue this PhD in the academic study in service of others. I didn't know where it was going to lead me, what it was going to do in terms of a career or a profession, but I felt called to do it. So I went back and I pursued the PhD. And in my early phases of my PhD program, my focus was on the Hebrew Bible. And I'm trying to make a really long story short. <laughs> we want so, the twists and turns. We want the twists and turns. Okay. Everybody, you heard, you can you can blame Monica for that. This long twisted story. So anyway. I started out in Hebrew Bible. I was just fascinated by the Hebrew language. I hadn't even studied a language ever before because my focus in undergrad was on business. And then I did social work. I didn't study any, any language. So then I get to grad school and my first language other than English is biblical Hebrew. Imagine that. <laughs> and I absolutely loved it when all my classmates were grumbling about why do I have to take this? Why, why, why are we doing this? 
uh, I absolutely loved it because my focus being Hebrew Bible, you, the the plan from the uh, you know the academic side of things was you're able you should be able to interpret from the original language of the Bible, which for the Old Testament was the Hebrew Bible or Hebrew. And so I loved it. And I was trying to figure out what to do, how to focus my PhD. At this time, I was at Union Seminary in New York City. And across the street was the Jewish Theological Seminary. Right across the street, they had cross-registration and courses. And since this was my focus, Hebrew Bible, I took a lot of courses um, in my master's and my MDiv program, Master of Divinity, took a lot of Hebrew. And so then I didn't have any more to take there. So then I started cross-registration, taking classes across the street at the Jewish Theological Seminary where they had more advanced Hebrew. So this is combining my Master of Divinity and moving into my PhD at Union Theological Seminary. All right. So now I'm in the I'm in a class sitting there and they called the Jew, Jewish Theological Seminary JTS. So I'm sitting there. And by this time, I had had many classes there. And it just suddenly occurred to me out of nowhere. I kind of looked around and said, wait a minute, I'm the only Christian in this building. I'm the only African-American in this building. I'm the only person of color in this building. I mean, not just in the classroom and all in this entire building that I've been coming back and forth. And I was like, what am I doing here? I said, I feel like I can, I can tell you almost anything about the history, religion, and text of ancient Israel. And I don't think I could tell you anything about the history, religion, or text of African-Americans. There was suddenly a split in my identities. Although I love the academic pursuit of the Hebrew Bible, I was missing from it. And so this brought me into a whole journey of searching about what do I want to do and how do I want to continue my education? And it occurred to me, I needed to insert myself, my identity, my history, my people into my research. Now, how do you do that when you've already invested years in Hebrew Bible? And at that time, there weren't a lot of Hebrew Bible scholars, African-American women, Hebrew Bible scholars. And so my advisors they thought, well, I was going to be the next one. And they were invested in me in being the next one. I had two advisors, one from Union and one from JTS. They worked together in, in the Hebrew Bible program. So now I had to tell them, I'm having this sort of identity crisis. I don't want to do this anymore. What I'm thinking, what do I want to do? And I remember the class that I was most impacted by during that time was a class with Dr. Vincent Winbush on African-Americans in the Bible. So in his early years of thinking, I had taken, at least that was the one class I had that had something to do with African-Americans. And I think something about it stayed with me. And I think that's why I was impacted when I went over to JTS in that one moment. All right. So just as I'm going through this identity crisis, Dr. Winbush takes a job at Claremont Graduate University in California. Now, we're both at Union. He's a new professor of New Testament. I have these Hebrew Bible advisors. So I remember that class. I remember the experience. I'm going through this identity crisis. I said in my mind, in my heart, walking down the hallway when somebody told me he was leaving, I'm like, I'm going with him. 
Nobody asked him. Nobody invited me. Nobody said, can you go? I said, I'm going with him. I'm like, because I'm just trying to figure this out. I'm just, I'm just learning that I need to be in this program. So you can only imagine how that turned out. So I said, I'm going to go talk to him. So I made an appointment, went and sat in his office. And he know he knows my work because I had a course with him and I, he had read uh, my master's thesis. So he knew my work. So I explained to him the short story of this, where I was and said, basically, I heard you leave and I want to go with you in essence. <laughs> and in essence, he, you know, he analyzed why and the ins and outs and then said, okay. <laughs> so when he applied, I was a part of his package. And then I went with him. I followed him to Claremont Graduate University. But the tricky part was he's New, New Testament. I'm trained in Hebrew Bible. Claremont Graduate University was like, what? <laughs> what what kind of package is this? What deal is this? And I had done so much work. I was at the point where I was heading into what they call the qualifying exams. I know there's different versions of those terms, right? So how are we going to examine you when you studied Hebrew Bible? And now you want to do this other thing. And what is this other thing? You want to do New Testament now? No, <laughs> I don't want to do New Testament. I, wanted, I want to do something with African-American women, history religion, literature. Well, we don't know. You're not going to be able to market it that way. Stick with the Hebrew Bible, figure it out. Otherwise, you're not going to get a job. And by the way, the same thing they told me at Union, of course, my Hebrew Bible advisor said, I wouldn't go because you're not going to get a job. It's hard to finish a PhD program when you transfer and when you change. But I went. And then when I got to Claremont, they said the same thing. So it took a while, some struggle looking at the courses. I appreciated what we, what I really connected with, how I can make myself fit. Went through the course catalog way back in the handbook and found this little obscure sub-concentration. And it was broad enough that I could figure out how to make an inter, interrelated, interscholarship kind of program, interfield program. So I proposed a new program, a kind of independent program that I can bring in my Hebrew Bible background and introduce this African-American study, so to speak, of culture and created my own program. <laughs> I created my own program, proposed it to Dr. Wimbush and to all the powers that be, and they said yes. And so that's what I did. <laughs> which is a life lesson all by itself. I mean, yeah. right? it, it, it sounds like a fascinating journey. And I'm just so excited that you shared the, the kinds of twists and turns, because I know that that will resonate with our listeners who at various points in their own journeys have likely had somebody say, well, you know, you're not likely to finish or this doesn't make any sense or you're not going to get a job, all those and, kinds. And of you things. got a job, right? I got the I deal job for me see see you know you 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 somehow in all of that you've managed to be successful i'm thrilled about that um let's let's just take a little 180 degree turn then and talk to us about your business and what it is that you're doing now that you are pushed out in the entrepreneurial space as well yes i okay I'm pausing right now because I'm just going to jump over years in my mind, right? I'm just going to jump over years. Uh, part of the reason why I wanted to study religion was 
as a small child, I was always interested in the big questions of life. Always, and I just remember, even as a small child, I have a distinct memory of being about six or seven years old in Connecticut, where I grew up. And I grew up in a house where my parents owned the house, but it was a three-family house. And so it looked like one house on the outside, but inside there were three separate homes, apartment homes, right? And so my all my family lived there, my cousins, and so just one big house. So one summer, six or seven years old, I'm sitting on the porch. It's a big front porch. And summertime, we're all excited, no school and that kind of stuff. And I had about seven or eight cousins and my brother and sister and all of us would go back and forth in these different up and down different floors to visit each other. And so one summer I was sitting on the porch by myself and they were inside playing. And then I heard them about to come outside onto the porch. And I heard my father say, don't go out there and bother Robin. She's out there contemplating the meaning of life. And he laughed, right? And they laughed, but they didn't come out. And so when I heard him laugh, I said, oh, I kind of felt embarrassed because I felt weird, you know, because they were laughing and I'm out here and they're playing and I'm not with them. I'm kind of weird. But then fast forward in my adult years, looking back, I'm like, oh, he was right. I was thinking about these big questions of life. And that was his way of summing it up, talking about the meaning of life. And as it turns out, he was right. I am interested in the meaning of life. And so today in my work, I teach people how to have more meaning and purpose, particularly in their work, how to express their purpose through their work. So I built a business based on that. And my business does just that in a variety of ways. So I'll pause there to see if you have any questions. I do. And I think it's such a great segue because I know what you do. but. Tell us about the values that drive your business. Like what's at the core of your business? Yeah, at the core of the business is my own sense of purpose. My sense of calling, vocation, just that like that little six or seven year old that was in me. And I think that's what we're called to do, to be who we really are. And that that's a part of who I am. And so led by my the, my values my calling, my faith in God, my relationship with God, this um, this undeniable urge to shout at the mountaintops, have meaning and purpose in your life. That's what drives me. Love it. And so what drives you is the same thing that you're trying to help other people to do, to have that same kind of drive. And I assume that this gives you a lot of peace, right? Like that you feel like you're in your lane, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yes, I really do. You hit it right, the nail right in the head, Monica. I do. And I have done it for years. I have lived like this for years. When you were asking me earlier, did I get the job? And I said to you, I got the ideal job because now I know how to do it, right? I know what brings me meaning and I know what brings me purpose. And I know um, always how to live in it. Now, that's not to say Things don't happen in life. You know, you have ups and downs. People get sick. People die. You have your own issues. Of course, you have that. But generally speaking, I can tell you without a doubt, I always have a sense of meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in my life and have done so for over a decade because I figured it out. And I thought, this is not for you, Robin. 
this is for you to share with other people. So it took a long time all through that doctoral program and all the, the stress of that, the blood, sweat, and tears. Whew. I went back there for a second. Let me come back. <laughs> I slipped back. Do you think, do you think um, did you choose your business or do you think your business chose you? You know, yeah, I think, I think that's a good question. And it's it's the calling, right? The calling, we think we choose it, but it's in there. It just keeps knocking on your door until you answer. Mm-hmm. And I I answered. <laughs> so, so let's stay there for a minute then. When and why did you definitively decide, okay, I've got to build this business? The knock is getting too loud or the phone is ringing, the spiritual phone keeps ringing. When and why did you decide to really lay down the gauntlet and say, okay, I'm going to push forward with this? I knew it was back there all the time, just lingering in the background. And I'm like, I know I have to do something but I didn't know what to do or how to do it. And so then as life does, it brings you something that gets your attention. And in this case, it was 2018. And my brother at the beginning of the year was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And then in six months, he was gone. And I talked to him almost every week, every Sunday. And I thought, wow, he has such grace and love throughout that whole thing, even though he's not slowly, slowly, slowly began not to enjoy the things in life that he enjoyed. Simple things like um, meeting up with his friends and he and his wife used to play cards with the friends and all that, right? So he passed in October and I thought, when I got over the, the initial shock and the grief where I could say, now look at your life. He's not here to do those things that he enjoyed, but you are. And I said, I am here. What have I not been doing that I say I was going to be doing? Because I knew it's knocking on my door. Now, you've been talking about writing a book, speaking, creating a business, and sharing your message. Even though I wasn't clear, as I am today, what the message was, I knew there was something calling me to do it. And I'm like, you still have life. He doesn't have it here. You have it. Now make the best of what you have. And I, that was the moment I said, okay, I surrender. I'm going to do it. I'm just like so moved, right? <laughs> and especially how, you know, his life motivated you into, right, to make kind of that next pivot in your life. All right. So you told us you got the job, right? Um, and, you know, I hate the word balance. I don't think I believe in it, but I'm going to use the word manage. So how do you manage, right, your day job, (laughs) right, with having a business? A lot of people um, who we work with, a lot of our listeners aren't making an exit plan. I mean, some are. But a lot of us, like Takia and myself, right, we have day jobs and we have our businesses. How do do you make it all work and, you know, still get enough sleep and have fun in the world? Yeah, I'll have to say it's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy. However. That that dissertation process did teach me how to manage a lot of stress and activity. And, you know, that's how I finally finished it. I kind of learned how to, I don't want to say time management because I don't think it's really time management. I think it's the issue of self-management. So I learned how to manage myself. Uh, and I, at that time, I got help to finish my dissertation. I got a, a writing coach who helped me 
manage myself in relation to time. Because I'm like this, I don't know how to get all this done. So what I've learned is, and this is what I do now, I don't try to do everything at the same time. I'm very segmented because people say, well, how do you do so much? I'm like, I don't do it every day. For example, like you, I host a podcast. And you're like, how do you keep track of the podcast? And I'm like, I only do it on Wednesday afternoons. So I don't do everything is blocked off. You know, when we teach, we know you have classes Monday, Wednesday, Friday, this two hour block or Tuesday, Thursday blocks of time. So just like that schedule is laid out, that's how I lay out my work and business schedule. And that's one example, for example, like the podcast It's around lunchtime. I know I have some time on Wednesday. That's it. And just plug in certain things in certain days. And if it doesn't work, just take it out and plug it into the next day or the next week and keep going. You know, I think that's so helpful because you, this is how academics think anyway, right? Like we understand having class on Tuesday and Thursday, 11 o'clock for a semester, right? We know what it's like Monday, Wednesday, Friday are your campus days. And I don't think we often think like, oh, we can manage everything like that because that's something Just, and we've been in enough school. We've been the student. We've been the teacher yeah. on yeah. those kinds of schedules. So that is, yeah. I think that's really going to be so helpful for a lot of our listeners to hear and probably emulate. We'll call it the Robin method. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it definitely works for me. I'm imagining that class calendar in my head right now as we're talking. So just insert things and don't move them around certain things on certain days. And then when somebody asks you something, oh, can you do this on Wednesday afternoon? You already know. No, I'm doing my podcast then. What I really appreciate about you framing it in that way is that what it signals to our listeners is the need to honor the appointments that you make with yourself. You know, most of us would we would never come to class to teach unprepared or we would never, you know, just ignore a meeting on our calendar with a senior member of administration or a student that we're mentoring. But it's about learning how to honor the agreements you make with yourself. You know, if you don't work on that chapter this afternoon, no one's going to stand over you and, and say anything about it. But you have to learn to honor the commitment that you made to the project or to the business or to, you know, whatever aspect of it you've been procrastinating about. Out. Um, but I think that there's some magic maybe that happens when you learn how to honor your own stuff first. And, yes. you know, and if I'm being honest, you know, not all of us have um, maybe even had good role models around that in our own lives. You know, so many women have been given the message that the best thing you can do is to put everyone else first. And so we know how to do that. We know how to work hard. We know how to sacrifice. We know how to make sure everybody else is taken care of. But to really put yourself first, um, I think as an as a black academic entrepreneur is not just about, you know, spa days and, you know, kind of sporadic activity. It's how do I prioritize this today and today? And and that's that's such a personal, you know, journey and and a a way of learning how to honor the parts of yourself that, that, and, you know, at least to hear you say it, have been with you since there's been a you. Yes, yes, yes. You know? And allowing that to flourish in the world, I think that's just, it's very exciting. 
Yes, thank you for saying that. And for me, if you come from a place like what you all talk about, values, whatever, and Monica, we were talking about this earlier, doing something she didn't enjoy, but at the heart of it was her daughter, right? And so that value, if you bring your attention back to why you're doing it and that value is leading you, then, okay, maybe I can keep this 15-minute appointment to work on my book. Mm-hmm. I don't always do it. Okay. My my book time day on Tuesday afternoon might come and something comes up, but that's all right. Come back next Tuesday. Don't get too far away from it. Mm-hmm. And be minded, it's not just for me. It's mm-hmm. not just for me. It's for this call on my life to serve others. And to do that, I must take care of myself. I can't help anybody if I'm not in the best condition I can be. That's right. So that makes me go to bed when I want to be up at midnight. Okay, maybe you need to go to bed because you know the next day is going to be off because you're up too late for your body. Now, some people, their bodies work like that. Mine don't. But my point is this constant, if I say it makes a difference to me to live in this calling, then do the things to live in the calling. Mm -hmm. It's about this kind of values alignment. Yes. Deep alignment between the values that you hold and the way that you're choosing to, 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 to live in the world. There are some entrepreneurs who are just excited about entrepreneurship sort of for its own sake. It doesn't really matter what they're selling because for them, the thrill is in the selling. It could be toilet paper. It could be mousetraps. It could be consulting services. It could be templates. It doesn't, you know, that's not, the part that they're concerned about, the high for them comes from the act of the transaction. Whereas I think what we have been really moving towards and talking about is having this sort of integrated life where all of the parts of who you are get to be honored and recognized and show up and flourish on your terms, not only through sort of the day job that you've chosen, but also through the entrepreneurial efforts that you've built. Because like most of the Black academic women that we uh, have worked with, as I'm hearing you talk, it's like, mm -hmm, most of us just have jobs that aren't big enough for all of who we are. Most of us have jobs that are not big enough or dynamic and flexible enough to wrap around our full calling. Yeah. Once we start to feel that, you know, it's like walking around in shoes that are too tight. I can't do nothing when my feet hurt. So we end up creating these containers, you know, that are that are big enough to hold our vision. And I just really appreciate you for sharing, you know, your journey and your vision with us. Tell us where the people can find you. Where can we find out more about you and your work and all things, Robin? How do we find you? Okay. And thank you for saying that. You can find me on social media, wherever you are in social media, at Robin L. Owens, Ph.D., at Robin L. Owens, PhD, but I primarily respond and hang out the most in LinkedIn at Robin L. Owens, PhD. And uh, I have a website that you can pop over and hear more about me and what I'm doing, RobinLOwens.com, RobinLOwens.com. And lastly, I'll say if you're into podcasts like this one, you can check out my podcast called Leadership Purpose with Dr. Robin, wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll put all that information in the show notes. And what Robin didn't say, which you don't have to, is about the book she's working on. And I think it's going to be a book that AB3ers will love. And so when it comes out, we want to bring you back on the pod to talk even more about leadership and purpose and vision and how it all goes together. 
Absolutely. I'd love to be back. And I'm so glad you guys had me here today. Thank you. I appreciate you both and the work that you're doing. It's not easy, but you show up over and over again and your heart and your passion and your commitment is clear to me. So I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of AB3 Speaks with Monica and Takia. We do this podcast because we want to serve and support Black academic women's entrepreneurial dreams. So subscribe and leave us a rating and review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We read every one, and this will help others to find the show. If you're looking to take the next step in your career, go to BlackAdemicBrainTrust.com where you can join our amazing community and get our free resource on the 12 questions you should ask yourself before becoming a Black academic entrepreneur. Our mission is to nurture your entrepreneurial dreams within and beyond the academy and build a business that both sustains and offers you freedom. We look forward to you finding and joining us at blackademicbraintrust.com. Because we want you to win. Thank you.